podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Well, that didn't go to plan. Scotland have been beaten 2-0 by the Czech Republic in our opening game of Euro 2020. Patrick Schick's double sealed the win. The first one, a really nice header, and the second one, an absolute cracker. He's written himself or edited himself into great goal compilations for years to come. Ben Ramage of the SFSA and Gordon Sheik of the Tartan Scarf join me, Andy Barge, to pick the bones of Scotland's opening day defeat. Gordon, we'll come to you. Are we going to be speaking to Mr Positive Gordon Sheik today or Reality Check Gordon Sheik? <laughs> I, I, as always, I will do my very best to be positive, but... As I've always said, you know, you can't just be blindly, willfully positive, wishing things into into existence. You know, you do have to accept reality. And that was a deeply, deeply disappointing result yesterday. And just a, just a maddeningly frustrating performance. I walked away from Hamden yesterday. I just couldn't work out what had happened or how it had happened. I mean, we'll come into it, but especially that first half performance. Questions need to be answered about what happened in that first half. And then second half, how we didn't score, I'll never, ever know. I mean, I don't think the balance of play was a 2-0 result, but at this level, you have to take your chances, and the Czech Republic did. Um, but again, though, I, I think the fact we're going to have this conversation in itself is a positive thing about the national team, because if you want to have a successful international football team, you do need to hold them to a higher standard. You know, we can't just say, oh, we'll take our participation medal and have a good laugh and a wee boogie and we'll go home and have a beer. I mean, we want us to be successful. We want us to compete. So we will hold them to high standard. And I think I think that's a good thing. Ben, how are you reflecting this morning? Yeah, I think missed opportunity was the kind of thing that was hitting me most. A lot of the talk was about sort of being clinical and we weren't clinical enough, which is obviously true. But I think a lot of it was down to some, some bad decision-making, um, some bad finishing, poor mistakes. I thought our luck was pretty rotten as well, I have to say. Um, I know we can't really use that as an excuse, but there were certain moments that, you know, especially I'm thinking Hendry's one that just went onto the bar. There was a couple of uh, blocks from their defenders and the ball could have gone anywhere. And instead it just went just over the bar. It went just wide. It missed Dykes. There was just moments where you thought on another day that that could well have gone for us. Uh, and I look back at the Robertson chance in the first half, you know, if he'd scored that, it could have been a totally different story. So Again, it's we've kind of come back to where we, we often end up, where we're thinking of think what could have been. But thankfully, we've still got another two games to go. So there's absolutely no point in throwing in the towel yet because we're one third of the way through the group. Yeah, look, if we manage to nick a point at Wembley on Friday, it's all to play for. We, we beat Croatia and the very high likelihood is we'll go through as a, as a high third place finisher. So, yeah, there's no point giving up, Ben, as you say. The, uh, we'll, we'll quickly cover the two goals. The The first one was a, a lovely header from, from Schick. I think the disappointing thing, Gordon, was that we had dealt with the initial danger. The corner was cleared, but then they were able to come at us again so easily. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Although I think the goal kind of summed up the entire uh, problem with our approach in the first half in that a lot you could tell that a lot of the approach was maybe a similar sort of game plan to Belgrade and it was about get those high balls up to Dykes, let him fight, let him win flick-ons and bring in guys like McGinn, Christy Armstrong into play. And for whatever reason yesterday, it just did not work. The ball just did not seem to stick to Dykes at all. He didn't win many in the air. And that inability for us to to carry the ball up the pitch. I mean, obviously, given the fact that we were missing Kieran Tierney, who is so phenomenal at bringing the ball out with the ball at his feet, we were left going a bit more route one and that wasn't working. And there was just that spell, a good four or five minute spell at the end of that first half where the Czech Republic had cross after cross and corner after corner and we just could not clear our lines at all. And you're right, we would win headers. We would get the ball clear. It would come straight back again. We couldn't advance up the pitch, retain possession. And eventually, if you give a team like that enough chances to put across in the box, they're going to get one right eventually. And eventually they found the perfect combination of cross and header. And it was a very good goal, to be fair. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to Tierney more because there was such a massive loss for us yesterday. The second goal, Ben Gordon, you can chime in as well on this one um, after Ben. But I'm seeing Craig Gordon, uh, sorry, I'm seeing David Marshall be blamed quite heavily for that one. Um, I think there's quite a distorted view of it from above the pitch that's being sent around on Twitter showing how far out his goalie was but by the time that Sheik had hit it Gordon was uh, God, not Gordon Marshall was pretty much back on his his 18 yard line so he had managed to get back into a decent position the shot was just inch perfect he was never going to save that uh, running back but I personally would question why Jack Hendry is deciding to shoot from 45 yards or so when there are three Czech players right in front of him, pretty much. Yeah, again, when we talk about decision-making, it was actually a really nice move that had led all the way up to that Jack Hendry chance. And he had Stephen O'Donnell in about 50 yards of space on the right. It's so hard to work that amount of space in international football. So you just pass him the ball. You take the easy option. O'Donnell puts the ball in. If it's got any quality on it, we could have been been levelling. So that was just such an important moment. I feel for him a little bit because what are the chances of that strike that he's hit so hard bouncing perfectly to their striker on the halfway line? I mean, that is where the luck element comes in. That could have gone out for a corner. It could have gone out for a throw-in. Instead, it goes straight to their striker. You then have to add in the fact that Marshall was not expecting that to happen because that's an unlikely sequence of events for the ball to come straight to their striker. The next bit of unfortunate, which is also just pure class from the striker, is the fact that he puts it right in the top left corner. I mean, from that distance, you could ask him to do that another hundred times. He might get it once or twice. That was such a low percentage chance of that going in the top corner. And he's found it. Me and my brother were both talking about it afterwards. He was a goalkeeper in his day when he was playing. Whenever I've watched that lobbed shot, the goalkeeper generally, at the last moment, jumps as high as he can. You can't see me. You won't be able to see this on the pod, but he puts his arm up as high as he can. And he has one last stab at palming it over. And often they won't get it. But it was so frustrating that he didn't even try that. And I think when the ball crosses the line, he's not actually that far away from the line. So I, I think he actually had a little bit more time than he thought. I think he was obviously panicking so much, which is understandable. But I would have liked to have seen him just throw his arms up. And you just don't know. He might have just palmed it over. Uh, it might just be classmate straws, but I would have loved to have just seen that because there's just a little bit in my head now that says 
what would have happened if he'd have just thrown both his arms up? It might, he might have blocked it out. It might have been a different outcome. I think as well, Gordon, what's frustrating with that is that just minutes before, maybe just in the previous attack, the Czech Republic goalkeeper pulled off the amazing save um, where the own goal was looping over his head and Dykes was uh, about to go and tap it in and he managed to palm it away with his back arched and his shoulders and elbows distorted and he managed to swat it away from, from Dykes and then just two minutes later, Sheik went in and did that. So who do you proportion the blame with for their second? Yeah, you're right. That that was just an absolute sickening way to start the second half. I mean, obviously, the team came back out desperate to try and get that equaliser as quickly as possible. Shea Adams had come on, who very, very quickly reminded everyone of his his class and technique and skill. And and yeah, we had we had two or three chances in quick succession. That own goal potentially could change things. Uh, Jack Hendry hit the bar, and if one of those goes in, I mean, you saw in the uh, the Ukraine Netherlands game, you know. As soon as a team scores one goal in a game, the momentum can completely change. And I think if we had equalised then, we'd then be fighting and pushing for a winner. And I think that very possibly could have come later in the second half. So it was the worst possible time then to score a second because it just completely takes all that wind out of our sails that we've been trying to build up. I mean, I'm I'm not massively keen on apportioning blame, to be honest with you. I mean, I think Ben summarised it very well that it was a little bit of, a little bit of rush of blood to the head from Jack Hendry shooting when he should have passed. A little bit of a rushed ahead from David Marshall, potentially positioning himself further out than maybe he should have in a sensible situation. But that was compounded by an absolute freak set of circumstances, as you said, with the ball bouncing and falling perfectly for Schick, who then executed the most incredible finish you've ever seen. So, you know, in a in a freak circumstance, it's hard to really... How much can you really learn for the future? But yeah, if, if if Hendry stays calm, plays the pass, it doesn't happen. But there's still an awful lot that has to rumble out for that goal to end up in the back of the net. So, ugh. yeah, no, yeah. Okay, Keen Tierney was injured. That was a massive blow, Ben. You're you're a massive fan. Your your wee name on Zoom at the minute is the ghost of KT. Let's hope that that doesn't last for the rest of the group stages, eh? Yeah, I mean, if there was one person that I really didn't want to see out, it was Tierney because especially over the last few games, it's really it's really started to work, the Tierney and Robbo kind of link. And it's also so intrinsic to the way we play. If you're going to play with three at the back, you need one of them to be able to step out with the ball because otherwise you just become very easy to defend against. And he's the one player that we don't really have a replacement for. There's no one that can really come in and play that role. And He's also one of our best players, if not one of our best players. So it was just that that was such a hammer blow. I don't know how much the players felt it, but you could see in our play that we just didn't have anyone to step out of defence with the ball. And I know it's so easy with hindsight, but especially after you look at McTominay's performance from midfield, I think if he'd have gone back into defence, then at least on the right-hand side, we would have had some sort of threat coming from centre-back. Whereas we went from sometimes having Tierney and McTominay in defence, having those two options, we went to having three very, well, much more defensive-minded centre-backs that left all of the attacking onus on Robertson, who I do think had one of his better games. I thought he actually played really well under the circumstances. But there was just such a massive KT-shaped hole in that defence. And we are just, I'm just desperate that he gets fit um, back for Friday. Gordon, is it worth persisting with the shape of Keane Tierney is not fit? 
Well, it's certainly a question that needs to be asked. I mean, you wonder, one thing I haven't heard reported yet, I don't know if you guys have heard, is when it became clear that Kieran Tierney wasn't going to play yesterday, because obviously that system is very much built, it was built with the intention of getting Tierney and Robertson into the same team. So if Tierney isn't there, is there still the merit in playing that same way? I mean, I, I was trying to rack my brains to think, has have Cooper and Robertson ever actually played together in those positions? I mean, when Cooper played against the Netherlands, he was in the centre of the back three. So I guess it, it wasn't really a big surprise in the first half that they, they didn't really have that click. They didn't really work so well together. Um, I think Ben's right that Robertson did probably have one of his best games. I think he created five chances for teammates, which I think was the most of anyone on the pitch. So he did do a really good job, but he, I think he plays better when Tierney's there with him. Um, and I guess also the the lack of Kieran Tierney meant that we seemed to spend a lot more time attacking down the right, where we've sung his praises a lot, but I think Stephen O'Donnell had a, a poor game yesterday. Yeah, Ben O'Donnell, his first involvement was he let the ball slip through his legs for a, th- for a throw into the checks down when, when Scotland were on the attack. And I think he misplaced a pass and then he tackled Christie when Christie was breaking into the box after a nice drop of the shoulder on the wing. It, it didn't really go well for, for him yesterday. No, it was such a shame because we have backed him to the hilt, you know, and I think it was the sensible choice, but maybe we would have been better taking a braver choice. Uh, for Clark, again, it's hindsight, but you could just tell early on he was nervy. His touches were poor. He, he, the one that went out was, you know, that was like Sunday League stuff. And then you had the the block on Christie when Christie went on a little messy run and you thought, yeah, we're into the box. And that's just anticipation. You know, O'Donnell is experienced enough. He should be realising the situation, realising that Christie is running through and he managed to put the perfect tackle in on his own player. And it was it was just, it was hard to watch because a lot of people have been calling for Patterson and I'm sure he wanted to prove all of them wrong. But I, I, I think he did the opposite. And I think now everyone is going to be calling for Patterson or Forrest to, to play that position against England. And I have to say, I think Forrest did well when he came on. Yeah, did that make it more frustrating, Gordon? Because within a couple of minutes of Forrest arriving on the pitch, he created two pretty good opportunities and you were left thinking maybe we could have had this threat down the right an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I, I certainly agree with that. I mean, obviously we, we spoke before the game about, you know, the importance of being able to make changes off the bench and guys like Fraser and Forrest who could come on and bring pace and directness into a tiring team. So I think, I think they did that. I think they, that was a real benefit when they came on. But I, th- I think the, big, the bigger question mark I would have was, why didn't Shea Adams start? I mean, he was so good when he came on and I don't know if there's rumours that he was carrying a knock. Maybe he could only be limited to 45, but Dykes seemed to come alive when Shea Adams came on because all of a sudden he had someone much closer to him to, to play off. And I think the, big, the biggest question that I just still can't wrap my head around out of this selection was the way that midfield was set up because especially through the first half, what you had was McTominay continually dropping deep to sort of sit just above the back four or the, the the back three. And then the other three, McGinn, Armstrong, Christie, all wanting to push higher. So it just dragged the midfield apart and left this gaping hole around the centre circle. So whenever we would have the ball in defence, we found it very, very difficult without Kieran Tierney being able to carry the ball out himself. We found it really hard to move the ball up the pitch into midfield and into attack because 
there seemed to be just no one there ever. There was there were never any passing lanes. So yeah, I I, I still can't really fathom why we started like that. Yeah, Shea Adams certainly impacted the game when he came on. He he delivered a a bit more impetus and, and pace and attack, I think maybe to make the checks think twice rather than just a long ball heading for Lyndon Dyke's head. Then the I think the the justification for leaving Shea Adams on the bench is, is certainly one with question marks over it. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think we're seeing it more with Dykes that he is not a finisher, which is unfortunate. Um, he the, the chance that he had in the second half, I know it's on his weaker foot, but that has to be going in. I mean, at international level, you're not going to get many better chances than that. So for me, his merit has to come from the link-up play. The trouble was without another striker next to him, that link-up play almost disappears. You know, Christie or whoever weren't close enough to him to make that link-up work. So you've got a link-up striker with no one to play off. It just doesn't work. And when you put Adams on, Adams is such a clever player. You could see it was working instantly. Dykes was looking for, for where Che was and he was heading straight to him. And if we'd had that the whole game, again, you just don't know what would have happened. Adams would have had more chances himself. So, yeah, it's easy in hindsight, but you could just see the absolute impact that Adams had and on the whole system. And for me, when we're looking at O'Donnell playing right back, it's the sensible choice, the defensive choice. You're already playing five at the back. You've already got three centre-backs. That's already a defensive system. So maybe you don't need to have another defensive option at right back. Maybe you don't need to play with one striker. You know, it's already a defensive minded system. So for me, playing Adams and Dykes up front is not that outrageous when you've already got so many players back. Yeah, we, we touched on McTominay a minute ago. Gordon, personally, thoroughly disappointed in his performance yesterday. I've really been looking forward to seeing him at this tournament. Uh hoping that he would grab a midfielder, the midfield yesterday, by the scruff of the neck and, and make it his, but he didn't at all. Yeah, but then I guess you could very much say the same about all the midfielders that were on the pitch yesterday, to be honest. I, I don't know that any really truly impressed in the game. I mean, Armstrong, Christie, McGinn as well. I mean, I know McGinn is an absolute sacred cow in this team, and he has been the first name of the team sheet for so long for the right reasons. But yesterday, I think the game passed him by. He wasn't able to show what he can do. I think his starting positions were also quite deep as well, especially in the second half. You know, we've loved to see marauding runs from McGinn and popping up in space just outside the box. But he was often picking up the ball deep, deep inside his own half. I mean, there was that, there was that one incredible touch where he sort of played, did the sort of uh, Zidane spin around the defender. But he's doing that five yards outside his own box. And that's not the place that you want John McGinn to be doing his work. Um, I think I think if I if I can just touch on 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 Shea a bit one more one more thing is I think the the issues in the midfield led to Shea often dropping deep to about just inside their half to pick the ball up to then turn and drive and play someone in. So that setup often led to Shea being the guy providing the pass for the shot rather than being in the position to take the shot, which I think is unfortunate because as we've seen, I think Shea is one of our best natural finishers yet he was providing chances for Dykes and then later for Nisbet. And I was just desperate to see to see Shea get a shot on goal because he's probably got a higher percentage chance of, of getting one in. Ben, will you join me in singing the praises of Grant Hanley, who I thought was our man of the match yesterday? 
Absolutely. It was a phenomenal performance. Uh, I, that was one that I was so proud of because the amount of stick that he's taken over the years and so much of it unwarranted, I thought he was phenomenal. You know, stepping out, he was so calm on the ball. You know, he, people used to call him a bomb scare, but he was just so calmly just strolling around the back, marshalling everyone, great tackling, great heading. You know, it was it was a brilliant, brilliant performance and one that I'm sure he'll be absolutely delighted with after the amount uh, of stick that he's taken. Yeah, Gordon, it's a shame that two goals were scored. He, he was beaten by Sheik for the first one. I think he got in the middle of... Hanley and, and who was it that was behind him? O'Donnell was pressing the, the cross. It was Cooper. It was Hanley was in front. Cooper was in the middle. And some, you know, they are big centre backs. So it was it was some incredible header to get in the middle yeah. of both of them. So it's it a, it a shame that it was beaten for that header. But otherwise, Gordon, I can't really remember him putting a foot wrong, Grant Hanley. And there, there was an amazing moment actually where, and this is recently I was saying what took me by surprise that Hanley's very fast. He, he is the second quickest player uh, at Norwich. And there was one moment where the Czech Republic were breaking down the left. And for a split second, you thought, oh God, they've got a clear run. And Hanley just powered back and, and got in front of the, the Czech attacker and, and shepherded it out for, for a throw. And that actually, um, I, I, that roused the crowd a wee bit. That I remember when Hanley got back in front of his man, the, the crowd really got got behind that. And I think his performance was not one that merited being on the losing side. Yeah, I would, I would, I would completely agree with that. I thought it was a very good performance. Um, and actually, it's quite funny. I, I was literally going to bring up that exact same moment as well. And I, actually, when that happened, I turned to the guys, the two young guys standing behind me at, at Hamden. I said, yeah, do you know that Grant Hamley's the second fastest guy in the Norwich squad? <laughs> because it, it, it does still blow my mind because, he, you know, just his, his size and his build, he does not strike you as a fast guy. And often, given the way he plays football, he doesn't really demonstrate his speed. But that was just a perfect example of just how how quick he was, and also his reading of the game as well. The fact that he was able to read where that danger was, the physical pace to get back, and then being able to then just shepherd the ball out for our throw-in, it was, yeah, perfectly executed. Ben, you have joined me in the past in singing the praises of Stuart Armstrong. I'm not sure that we're all on the same hymn sheet now. He's He didn't really do himself any justice. Yesterday, I felt Stuart Armstrong, we've, we've shouted for him, to be included in the team on a fair few occasions. I don't think he grabbed the jersey yesterday. No, I think I thought he played really well against Holland and I feel like maybe that played into it. And it was also quite interesting. Um, McFadden was saying that obviously Armstrong and Robbo would have played together at Dundee United down the left. And I wonder with Tierney going out, maybe he was hoping that that link-up was going to come into play, that sort of inherent link-up. But yeah, he had a couple of his little mazy runs and set up a few, a couple of chances. But yeah, I, I think the midfield just didn't work. And for me, that came from McGinn not playing in his best position. For me, McGinn's our best midfielder. So you play him where you're going to get the most out of him. And for me, that's that's just off the striker. You know, he's playing the 10. He's okay further back, but his magic comes from when he's just on the edge of the box. We've seen the amount of goals he scored for us recently. We want him on the edge of the box running onto chances. And he was wasted in, you know, further back in midfield for me. McTominay just had an absolutely horrid game. You know, he's a big enough man to take the criticism. 
he he was he went missing. Yeah. For, for a Man United player, the opener of, of a Euro tournament, I'm sorry, that was not that was not an acceptable performance. I thought Suchek did a brilliant job on McGinn. I, I think that they'd actually targeted McGinn and said, look, he is the man that makes them tick and he's one of their biggest goal threats. And I thought Suchek did an unbelievable job on him. But it was just... So I think Armstrong kind of fell into it that the midfield just wasn't working. And I'm not sure if Clark should have changed it sooner, but it, it didn't work. They, they overran us in midfield. Yeah, we, uh, we'll move on to some some tweets that have come in in relation to recording this podcast, just some questions and talking points. I would I would disagree with Alex Johnston, who says, is it a coincidence we qualified for our first tournament in 23 years while Grant Hanley was injured? I feel, I, Alex, I feel that, as we've just touched on, that Grant Hanley was probably our best player yesterday. Um, I think that Gordon and Ben have both alluded that they're on the same wavelength with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that was terribly unfair. And you know, but we've 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 gone over this time and again on this podcast that Grant Hanley is unfairly maligned because of what he did in a back four next to Russell Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Hempel uh, brings a, a question: Are we too harsh on Marshall? Uh, sorry, are we too nice about Marshall because he's the one that got us here with the save penalty, or do we need to be brutal and play Gordon? Ben, you're the Listen, resident Jambo. Do you want to? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hop on that Gordon bandwagon. Um, but that, it, it, there was genuinely a question over who should start that game um, because Gordon has been playing. You know, I know it's the championship, but you see some of the saves that Gordon makes and they are top class and you can see why he had the moves that he had and the career that he's had. Marshall obviously was the hero in Belgrade. That's never going to change, but it had... I'm, I, and to be fair, I do think Clark will have picked that on who has played better in training. I, I don't think Clark's the kind of guy that would just go with his heart and not his head. But when you look at that performance, yes, there were some good saves. Saves that I would expect the keeper to make, to be fair. There wasn't, there wasn't too many world-class saves. But, but the positioning for the goal, and to be honest, I think the actual the run back and the attempt to clear it, I think there's a genuine a genuine call for Gordon to replace him now because we can't, we can't have any mistakes at Wembley if we want to have any chance of getting out of there with something. For me, Gordon is a brilliant shot stopper, more questionable in the air. He always has been, but they're going to have a lot of shots at Wembley. For me, Gordon is probably the best shot stopper that we had. Gordon, feel free. Yeah, I, I can... I can certainly understand the debate around Marshall's position. I mean, I, I, I think we've kind of come to an agreement that the second goal was a bit of a freak occurrence, that it's hard to really make big sweeping uh, judgments based on a complete freak outcome. And and obviously, you know, let, let's not forget that, you know, Craig Gordon, especially in his, in his time at Celtic, was certainly known for the occasional rush of blood to the head and rushing out of his goal and cleaning people out. So, I mean, you know that's not to say that any other goalkeeper wouldn't make mistakes too. I mean, I think you're right. I think Clark will be weighing them up on their merits based on what they do in training. And I think as well, obviously, you know, we always talk about, you know, defences being getting better by playing together. And that includes the goalkeeper as well. So, you know, the way that they pass out together, the way that they work together will have been developed over time. Um, so I don't know. I, I, 
I think I think Marshall probably will still start on Friday, and then then maybe 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 the Croatia game might might see something different. We'll see. SPFL Fitbafan asks: Are we still struggling to identify what our best midfield three is? I'll tell you what. I was stunned. I think so. Someone that we haven't discussed yet, but I, I was incredibly surprised that Cal McGregor didn't start yesterday. I yeah. mean, I just, I just, I still can't quite believe that. And and as I alluded to earlier, the I just thought the balance of the midfield was kind of a bit lopsided, given that McTominay was the only one sitting deep, and then three going forward, and just it dragged this space in the centre mid. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I certainly thought that we had our first choice midfield three with uh, McGinn, McTom- uh, McTominay, and McGregor, but Clark went for something different, and I think that's probably the biggest surprise for me yesterday. One thing I would say is that we're missing Ryan Jack. So for me, we can't have our best midfield at this tournament because Ryan Jack is the holding midfielder that we are we are missing. That's the reason that McTominay is in there. Absolutely on McGregor, I think we've we've talked about whether McGregor should be starting, but for me, he is the link, he's the link in the midfield. You have he he's happy to do the defensive side, but he can also bring the ball forward. So him alongside the sitter works really well because if we need an extra man in there to defend, he's there. And if we need him to break forward, then he's there. And that also allows McGinn to play further forwards and do his best work. So I think we know what our best midfield is. Unfortunately, we don't have it with us at this tournament. So we need to quickly identify a formula that gets the best out of McGinn and that gives us defensive cover. And that, that's Clark's job now going into Friday. I think we've covered um, this question that's come in from Sega Memecast asking if we need to be playing 3-4-1-2 or 3-4-2-1. Dykes and Adams seems to be the most effective partnership rather than one striker supported by two attacking midfielders. We're all on board there. Yep, yep. And and with with McGinn being the one behind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, There are a fair few tweets coming in regarding O'Donnell and the potential replacement of... Forrest or Patterson, if if O'Donnell was not to play against England, which one of those would you would you rather see come in, fellas? We'll start with you, Ben. Uh, I think judging on the performance and the amount of caps that he has, I think Forrest is actually the slightly more sensible option. I know that he's not a, he's not a right back specifically, but when you have a five man defence, you can you you're, you can get away with it more. I, th- I think we are in for a hell of a game on Friday. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. It wouldn't surprise me to see O'Donnell back there because, if anything, this is the game that we're going to have to defend a hell of a lot more in. And I'm not 100% confident with Forrest or Patterson at right wing back for such a big game. I think going forward, the calls are just going to be huge for Forrest or Patterson to be there. And I think for the Croatia game, especially as we likely need to win that game, that's the one that I would be probably putting Patterson or Forrest in. Yeah, I think certainly for me, the the debate about right back on Friday probably all hinges on whether Kieran Tierney's fit. Because I, th- I think if Tierney plays, I would stick with Stephen O'Donnell and play our most regular back five, um, especially because if Tierney's playing, we're, we will then be able to do most of our attacking down the left wing where Tierney and Robertson can can contribute because obviously what we saw yesterday was Liam Cooper, as good a defender as he is and he is a very good defender, he doesn't have that ability to attack, he doesn't bring the ball out at his feet, 
So hence, a lot of our attacks came down the right to O'Donnell, who was kind of exposed quite a lot. So I think come to Friday, if it's uh, if Tierney's playing, then O'Donnell should play because then he will be able just to focus on the defensive side of his game more than the attacking side. But then I guess, you know, I, I've, I've seen the argument that coming into the game against Croatia next week that, you know, I mean, Borna Barisic could very well be Croatia's left back and who knows his game better than Nathan Patterson. So there's probably an argument there for, for him coming in, at least coming in off the bench. Yeah, fair point. Um, Alistair Mann is asking, can we really play a back three without Keane Tierney? And there's someone else, just where the, I find that I've lost the tweet, but someone else was proffering, surely we, we must have a plan B, a 4-3-3 with Adams flanked by Forrest and Fraser sounds great. That does sound good. Yep, sounds, <laughs> sounds attacking. Um, I think Clark has favoured three at the back. You know, it's you don't just change the system for one player. I, I, I think that's quite a big call at international level. You know, this is the system that everyone has drilled into them now. So you maybe have some adaptations up, for, up front, but this is the system that Clark is going to play. Um, the issue is, I think, if you the, when we lost KT's sort of attacking influence, it made the rest of the back line seem very stunted. That's where I think you could have done with McTominay as the right-hand side on the centre-backs or a more attacking right-wing back. So I think it's more about adapting the players around it. I, I don't see Clark changing this system, especially mid-tournament. Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with that. I mean, you know, we've spent you know, the better part of a year now drilling this system time and time and time again. So, yeah, there's, there's just no conceivable way that he's going to throw that out, surely, um, unless unless they've been working on some backup plan that, that they haven't implemented implemented in a game yet. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I think... I think I think I think Ben's right. Like you, you can get lost in the weeds talking about systems, but it's really about how the players implement that system. And whatever the plan was yesterday, it didn't work. I think I, it could have worked if it had been implemented better, but it wasn't. And maybe that's the players, maybe that's the the plan. But we did create a lot of chances, though. Even though we didn't have the Tierney influence, we still had four or five brilliant chances that yeah. on another day, if we'd taken, it could have you know we could have been singing the praises of the system that we kept them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, exactly. Yeah. Look, at least if they, if they, if, yeah. You're right. If they if they don't score that header and the freak goal doesn't happen and Dykes finishes one of the chances, Clark seems like a genius. And unfortunately, that is just the the brutal nature of football at this level that, that it does yeah. swing on very small margins. That you you win, you're a genius. You lose, you're a you're a dud. So. Even even the, the the header that they scored right that there's a fairly it was a good goal but a fairly normal goal the sort of goal you've seen plenty of times. The second one is mm-hmm. the one that came from absolutely nowhere and was an absolute freak finish, as you've said. So even if we had uh, the, the chances in the first half, even if we had missed them as we did, Robertson and Dykes had chances. The, the ones in the second half um, that we had the chances to equalise, I think the Armstrong had the shot that deflected just over. The keeper made the amazing save when the own goal was looping over him. And there was another one as well. Dykes had a left-footed shot, but I can't remember if that would have equalised or, or half the deficit. I uh, can't quite remember that one. Um, but at the start of the second half, we had chances to equalise just before the Czech Republic went and, and scored their second. And Michael Grantham on Twitter makes the, the point here. Are some of the negative views on the lineup an overreaction because we were beaten? 
we lost due to fine margins. Czechs took their chances. Yeah, it's absolutely fine margins and some individual errors, you know. But like, I, I hate talking about luck, but when the one that you're talking about that looped over the keeper um, that he palmed away, it was a, it was the defender flicked it over the, over the keeper. But in doing so, he took it off the foot of Dykes. Dykes was actually just behind, so he would he we would have had a chance to finish that. So that deflection took it just far enough away from Dykes that he couldn't get it, and just far enough over the keeper that the keeper could still palm it away, but it didn't go in. So that kind of margin, that's so hard to to sort of anticipate, and you can't blame that on Clark. And he, and to be honest, even on the players, because on another day that ball would have had enough on it. To go in, there was the other block. Um, was it the Armstrong shot where it, it it dropped just over the bar instead of just going in? It went just over the bar, and that that's the kind of thing that a game can swing on. Yeah, it's uh, as it did feel like nothing was was falling for us yesterday. The, the Czech keeper seemed unbeatable um, for for the most part of that game. I think I'll I'll, I'll offer the, the talking point to you guys as well that the the, the tactics seem to be hit Dykes, find Dykes and play off what he can produce um, with the knockdowns. In my, in my opinion, that that just makes the game a 50-50 straight away because although Lyndon Dykes is good in the air, it, he's not guaranteed to win every header. And if he's, if he's not playing to the standard he did in Serbia where every single ball went his way, then it's, it kind of nullifies him a bit, no? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, and it certainly, it certainly it blunted our attack, um, and it and it just gives the gives the impetus straight to them. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, th- I think we certainly need to see both of them, Shea Adams and Lyndon like start on Friday because, as we've said, I think I think England's defence can probably be be got at. Um, and yeah, we we need our best players players out there to to play off each other. Right. I think if Tierney doesn't play, then McTominay has to go back into defence because we need someone in that back three to be able to step forward and pass into midfield because that's where the the midfield was just over was just overshot because there wasn't someone linking the ball from the back into the midfield. So the only option was to go long. Be good at that. Say again, mate. Henry's supposed to be good at that. Yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't see it, did we? He was always going long. Um, whether that was nerves or or what, but yeah, we need somebody in the midfield because a lot of our recent success has come from either McTominay coming from the right centre back or Tierney from the left centre back. That 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 opens up teams, whereas without that, we yeah. are incredibly easy to defend against. Gordon, yeah. there are a few calls on Twitter for Nisbet to start alongside Shea Adams. Any possibility of that? Um, I. I wouldn't have that personally because I think you certainly saw in the second half when Adams and Dykes were playing together that, that Dykes very much did come alive at that point because all of a sudden he had someone to play off, he had someone to make runs alongside, he had someone to find with his flick-ons and I don't think that Nisbet gives you that in the air that, that Dykes would, would give. So I think I think you'd be... Uh, you'd have to pl- play a lot of your attacks along the ground um, if you're playing Adams and Nisbet together. Um, I, th- I, th- I think Nisbet is a hard runner. He's a good finisher when he gets a chance. So I think certainly an option off the bench, he's he's very strong, but I wouldn't see him, I personally wouldn't see him starting on, on Friday. Now let's 
be careful, or I'll be careful with this foray. Um, Piper Stew has sent us a tweet with Clark's record as manager. Um, and it can be flipped depending what context or perception you want to use. So we have beaten Luxembourg, the Pharaohs twice, Czech Republic twice, one was the COVID incident, Kazakhstan, San Marino, Slovakia and Cyprus twice. Um, now this is depending on where, if you want to say failed to win or also uh, didn't lose against some of them because uh, it's Serbia, for example, are included in this list. So failed to win against Israel four times, Russia twice, Belgium twice, Slovakia once, Austria, Holland, Czech Republic and Serbia. Of course, we drew a couple of those games and went on to beat Serbia on penalties. But that's Steve Clark's record over 90 minutes. Gordon, I think if we're talking about manager's future just now after one game at the Euros, it seems a bit hyperbolic. Um, but there are a few tweets coming in. It just give them the... But I asked for opinions. This is the opinions that, that we're getting. Um, if Scotland go out with zero points, should we be looking to change manager? That, that This is what people are, are asking. Yeah. No, look, people, people as ever, entitled to their own opinions. That's absolutely fine. And look, with stats, you can prove anything. I mean, coming into the game yesterday, we'd only lost two in the last 16. So yeah. that yeah. that sounds like quite a good record, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and of course, as well, you, you, you can't just take results in isolation. You have to look at the context and... While, you know, say, for example, let's pick a game out of the air. Let's pick the game in Moscow early in Clark's reign and yesterday. Both games, we lost. Both games, we didn't score. But in Moscow, we capitulate and lose 4-0 and don't lay a glove on them. Whereas yesterday, as we've alluded, as we've said time and again, with different breaks the ball, we created more chances, better chances. We definitely could have drawn or won that game yesterday. And that's just the way the ball fell for us. So, I mean, yes... Looking at them clinically, it's the same result. It's a loss. It's no points. But the performances and the context around them could not be more different. So we've still we've come a very very long way under Clark. We've got to bear in mind we've got a World Cup qualifying campaign that we're part way through. This is certainly not the end for this squad, who by the way are very young. Let's not forget. Yesterday was their first ever game at major finals. They'll never have to go through that process again. We've got the spine of a team that can stay together for the next at least two, maybe three major finals. Um, the way I see it is that this is not the end under Steve Clark. This is just the end of the beginning. Ben, are we jumping a good few steps if people are wanting to talk about Steve Clark's future or is that in the immediate orbit? Uh, I think managers are never sort of untouchable, you know, and they're always going to be judged on their results. But you have to look at the context. You know, you're talking about, okay, we lost twice to Belgium. Well, I'm sorry, but are you expecting us to go and beat Belgium at the moment with the squad that they have? Um, the To not count the playoff uh, semi and the final as wins, I just think that's ludicrous. I mean, that was the mentally the toughest challenge these players have come through. You know, look at the kind of groups of players that we've had that haven't made it in the biggest games, and these guys have. You, you can't hold that against them. And yeah, OK, so we've lost our first uh, game at a major tournament in 23 years, as Gordon very importantly says, that's the first time that these players have experienced that. You don't know the kind of pressure that they were under. We talked about it beforehand, that this this was going to be a kind of pressure that they'd never been through, any of them. Even Robertson, you know, to have the entire country, you know that every primary school kid is watching this game. That's the kind of pressure that we will never understand. And they are a very select group of Scottish uh, players now that understand what that's like. And they've been through it now. And... 
you're always stronger after coming through that experience. So I would hope for a much better performance in the next game. But as we touched on, it wasn't a bad performance. We created enough chances to score three or four. They just didn't go in. But that's football. And, you know, we, we have to stay positive, stay behind the boys because they've got two huge games now. And we've seen it in previous campaigns that one win can be enough to get through, depending on other results. Yes, it looks more likely that we might need four, but we can get a draw at Wembley. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a proper uh, preview of the England game um, in the coming days, probably put it on air Thursday or maybe Friday morning. So um, we'll, we'll we'll discuss in depth what we would like to see against England and changes to the lineup and, and whatnot. But I think it is important, Gordon, to remember that this is not over. I feel like the bubble has burst slightly or fully that that we've just to accept now, oh, well, it was nice being back, um, but let's hope now we can get to Qatar or Germany 24. But it's not over. That this And stranger things have happened than Scotland getting a point at Wembley and setting up a showdown against Croatia. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, we... As the three of us were obviously very strong advocates for the national team, we certainly always try and bang the drum and get positivity and get people going. But I think we all know through our lives that <laughs> wider and national support around the national team is is fragile, you know. And there will be a lot of people who saw that game yesterday, saw that result, and will be quite keen just to chuck it. And I'm desperately keen that they don't, because as you're absolutely right, this this group is very much not over. If you think about it in the context of a 90-minute match, we're half an hour in. We've still got 60 minutes to go with the two games to come. I think the only thing that I, I, I wish could have been different, obviously I wish we could have won yesterday, but the thing I really wish could have been different if we could have got one goal, because I think that minus two goal difference, that that could be an issue for us going forward. Because even then, if we do, if we were then to lose on Friday, you'd be looking at at least a minus three goal difference. We spoke last week that, you know, in 2016, Portugal, for example, went through with only three points as a, a third place team, but they had a, a level goal difference. So that would then mean that we're in a position needing to beat Croatia by three or four at Hamden, which feels a long way away. So we're just going to have to draw or win on Friday. That's, that's just what it's going to have to be. Yeah, I think the, even a, a point yesterday would have meant that Losing at Wembley would not be a disaster. I think that Ben now, though, we're in the realms of must not lose against England. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, if you we've come this far. We've got to the group, which is a massive mental obstacle overcame. You know, if we don't get through the group, I think we've all said beforehand, just let's at least put in some performances. Let's... Let's make us believe that this isn't a flash in the pan, you know, that we can do this again, whether it's Qatar, whether it's Germany. You know, I, I want this to be like the process is continuing. And this is a major part of the process is to go to this tournament and feel what it's like, feel this pressure, get used to it, because this is what you have to deal with every time you get there. And we want this to be a regular occurrence. We don't want to all have to go through what we did yesterday because I know I don't know how you felt, but I, I felt really sick in the morning, just so nervous, just thinking about what could happen. Do you imagine what's going through those players' heads? You know, as they, you know, they have to go out sing the anthem. You know, they're very privileged, but they they would have been so nervous, and hopefully, they're not going to feel that again. I wanted to ask you actually, how how did you feel in the stadium? What was the atmosphere actually like with so much empty space around? I think the the crowd started off. 
in fine voice. The anthem was great, and especially pre-match, everyone was singing. Bakara was playing, and I think Loch Lomond played as well at one point. And everyone was in, in good voice and certainly looking forward to the game. Gordon, I, I, you were there as well. I, I felt that it didn't take long for the tension to start to seep in from the stands. And the, oh, yeah. the, 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 the noise and the party atmosphere dwindled and, and it became very tense. Yeah, it did. It did. And, and you know, as, as I sort of said at the very beginning of this, you know, you almost got the impression that that was kind of the player's game plan that you saw, especially through the first half. Like, you know, the players were almost like cajoling each other to calm down and almost take the emotion and the sting out of the game, which then sort of led to the fans almost drifting away from it as well. Because you're right, that the start of the game, the atmosphere was great. The singing was good. I mean, frankly, it was kind of amazing that there was only, what, 9,500 people there because it sounded like an oh, awful shit, lot more. Yeah, I, I found that weird. I thought it was supposed to be 12 and a half, but anyway. Um, but yeah, so, the, so then as, as we played slower and slower through the first half, the atmosphere did just kind of dwindle away and then the Czech Republic scored. So it just went to nothing. Mm-hmm. And then again, the fans sort of rallied, start of the second half, we had a couple of chances and then we got hit with a sucker punch. And then it was mainly a lot, quite a few grumblings through the second half as well. So yeah. lovely to be back, obviously lovely to be back and so just incredibly lucky to be among those lucky few to be there. Um, but yeah, you, you, you just wish the team could have given us given us that little spark to, to really go, go mental and support the team. Yeah. Well, we've got loads more to discuss throughout the Euros. We will do an England preview pod either tomorrow or the next day. It's a shame that we're not looking back on Scotland's first three points at a major tournament since 96 or... Um, even a point, which I think would have given some op- more optimism before the trip to Wembley. But it is what it is, and Scotland are winless after one game. Let's just hope that that doesn't continue, guys, on Friday. So, Ben, Gordon, cheers for joining me. Cheers, cheers guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.